going down. You can see it's sinking. Gregor, bring us right down on top of it. Hurry, Gregor! Don't worry. Hurry. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 153 and 154, which begin with a forced landing and end with Gregor's airship being rocked by an explosion. The top of today's clip is extremely fortunate for our heroes, because as we saw last week, the landing gear is torn off of the bottom of the plane and it drops the deck, skids, and slides into the bow. Given how roughshod the smoker technology is put together, I'm a little surprised it didn't explode immediately on hitting the deck. I know, everything else explodes immediately. (laughs) What this tells me is that the plane was not prepped and ready to fly. It was not full of fuel. I would not be surprised if... What we saw earlier in this movie with the smokers pulling the oil up from underneath the deck and turning the pump to fill the plane with gasoline, if that pump wasn't working, and as soon as that siphoning guy pulled the fuel through the pipe and got a face full of it and they threw it in the plane, as soon as they threw that hose in the plane, the pump just let everything flow right back into the tank. (laughs) Not into the plane, but back into the boat. That's funny because that would have to happen. This plane should have exploded. And honestly, I'm not sure if in real life the plane should have exploded. Generally speaking, things are harder to explode in real life than they are in the movies. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if it had a full tank of fuel and it crashed like that, that's not good. There's a non-zero chance yes. of something going catastrophic. But as it is, yeah, the plane's in pretty rough shape and it is on fire a bit. <laughs> but the friction of it hitting the deck before it hit anything in front of it was enough that it just kind of booped. Right. <laughs> and I love the slow push in on the Mariner as he's picking himself up off the deck because you look at his face... And it's almost like he's asking himself, okay, did I do the right thing just now? Did I accidentally kill Enola? Right. That was a huge possibility. Mm -hmm. And he had a really hard decision to make in that moment from last week. Do I do this and cause the plane to crash in a place that I might be able to reach her? Or do I let it take off? Because in the short term, it's safer for her. So... Is there a right answer and a wrong answer to that? I don't know, but that's the question he's asking himself right now. Yeah, there's a section in the novelization where the Mariner is thinking to himself, oh no, did I just kill Enola? And then he rationalizes to himself that if she did die in the crash, okay, well, that's better than being kidnapped by the Deacon and subjected to who knows what as far as their living conditions would be after the fact. That's very true. And the deacon, I don't think he had any particular interest in keeping her alive anyways. Exactly. So either she dies in a horrible crash, or she's tortured and killed later on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
But in a shot that really defies my cynicism, the Mariner runs up to the crash plane and he finds Enola unharmed in the cabin of the plane and they embrace because they are so relieved to find each other. And as cynical as I can be, it's hard not to feel at least a little something at this moment. Agreed. This moment is pretty powerful. Thinking back to the last time they interacted and saw each other, is it when he was teaching her to swim? Was that the last time they interacted? Let's see. So let's see. He taught. Well, no, it wasn't because he taught her how to swim that morning. And then that same day they came upon the trading post, the trading post. And there was fighting and running and shooting. They escaped the trading post. And then Helen confronted him about you were going to trade us. And then he brought Helen under the water. Yeah. So really, there wasn't much beyond the swimming lesson, but only because he was too preoccupied in dealing with Helen and pirates. Right. And it's been, what, two days? Yeah, it's been some indiscriminate amount of time. It's true. It's hard to tell. Yeah. (laughs) But it is a very heartfelt moment. And they pause and take a moment to take in this moment. They've got to check and see if it's actually real. Yes. Now, is that scene where he grabs her from the plane and they hug, is that in the theatrical release? It is. Okay. In fact, the only part of the clip for today that isn't in the theatrical release is the establishing shot of the airship floating in amongst the clouds. Oh, okay. So in the theatrical release, the first time we see the airship is when they're throwing the rope down. Pretty much. You've got everything blowing up around the Mariner and Enola. You see the whole ship starting to tilt into the water, and then suddenly you cut to Helen and the Enforcer leaning over the side of the gondola, shouting at Gregor to move faster because everybody knows how fast those fortified airships move. They're just (laughs) speedy things. Yeah. I want to duck into the book because as you look at the Deacon... In the crashed airplane, he is hunched over the controls and he's not moving. He seems to have been maybe knocked out for a little bit. His book counterpart is much more active at this point. The Mariner pulled her out of the wreckage. Her dark, lovely, soot-covered face blossomed into a dazzling smile. Lifting her out in his arms, he deposited her on the deck. Can you walk? He asked her. I can run, she said, smiling. But he knew there was nothing to smile about. The ship was coming apart around them, deck-heaving explosions below deck, not that far below deck, rocking the ship. He took her hand and was looking toward the bridge, trying to formulate the next plan when he heard the awful voice. If I can't have dry land, the deacon said, you think I'm going to let some walking catfish have it? The smoker commander held a flare gun in one hand, pointing it right at the mariner and at the child whose hand the mariner held. Burnt, his clothes in tatters, his face streaked with red, The deacon rose from the rubble of the plane, keeping his aim steady. We all die together, friend, the deacon said. That's the deal. You'll join my congregation in hell. The mariner was thinking, maybe I can jump him before he fires that thing. When somebody beat them both to the punch, as a bottle filled with oil stuffed with a fiery rag came hurtling down from the sky like a bizarre hailstone and slammed into the deck almost at the deacon's feet, exploding in a small but very satisfying manner, tossing the deacon on his ass his flare shot streaking off harmlessly wild as he went sprawling backwards. Astounded and relieved, the mariner and the child looked up to the sky to see what god had dropped this gift. And there it was, sailing above the deck in the Dees like a lovely apparition, was old Gregor's balloon. Okay, so that kind of 
smushes two moments together. In the movie, the deacon comes back around again to prevent them from leaving the ship. And then there's the bottle to the face. Mm -hmm. In the book, is he dispensed with until they're out on the water? Or does he come back and try and stop them from climbing the rope? This Molotov that's tossed at his feet is only a minor setback. We'll see later on in this section of the book that he's able to recover from being firebombed rather quickly, almost as quickly as he's able to recover from being in an airplane crash here in the movie. But focusing in on the airship itself, we see that the basket that hangs from the balloon has been fortified. It's more boxy, kind of looks like a big square rowboat now. The book describes it thusly. This was a fortified version, a new, bigger, battle-ready basket with metal sheeting protecting both the basket and the underside of the balloon itself. Over the bulletproof armor plating peeked three welcome familiar faces, Gregor, Helen, and the Atoll Enforcer, who had another bottle bomb in hand, ready to light it. Yeah, I supposed that they had just completely replaced the basket with a, it looks like a metal dinghy. It does. I am not quite sure where they necessarily found the materials amongst the small new oasis atoll. All of the boats there seemed to be made out of wood, and none of them seemed to have a lot of sheet metal lying around. So I guess we just need to hand wave away the construction (laughs) of this. I am a bit tickled, though, that the original pilot's chair is still in there. Oh, absolutely. It's great. It's got to retain that mechanical aspect with the little props on the back to push it around. I mean, really, with how big that balloon is and how heavy the gondola must be, I don't imagine those fans doing a whole lot. But hey, you know, they're trying. There's effort there. Yeah. And there is a space exploration concept that is out there in the world that One of the big problems with space exploration is the amount of fuel that it takes. Most of the volume of rocket ship that goes up into the air is fuel. Mm -hmm. So there is this concept that once you get it up in the air and you're no longer in gravity, you only need a little tiny bit of acceleration. But if you apply a consistent small amount of acceleration over a vast amount of time, you can get up to ridiculous speeds. Mm. So it wouldn't apply quite the same in this situation because there is the friction of air and gravity and all of those things, but they don't need a lot of acceleration. They just need it to be consistent and they can just keep getting faster and faster and faster. It may not be a lot of power, but it's very persistent power. It's the little engine that could basically. Yeah. But here in the clip, Helen is shouting at Gregor to get this thing in closer to the deck. They have a plan to toss a rope down to the Mariner and Enola. And I love how you've got the Mariner and Enola. They're seeing all of these things slide down the deck because the ship is beginning to pitch itself. And as the rope drops down in front of them, Helen shouts specifically to Enola. And I imagine that she's shouting to Enola not only because... Enola is the one that she cares about more, but because the Mariner has never given her a name, so what would she shout to get his attention? I thought about the exact same thing, and yeah, she doesn't have anything that she can shout to him to say, 
I am specifically speaking to you. So mm. if he was alone, she just would have said, hey, you. I guess. You know what they need? A scene like you find in Mad Max Fury Road where Furiosa is like, what am I going to call you? And Max is like, I'm not going to tell you. And so she says, fine, I'll just call you fool. Yeah. And that's what she shouts. Or they needed a scene like in Dirty Dancing where they do the dance with the song about, you know, calling lover boy. <laughs> and then Kevin Costner and Gene Triplecorn could have done the lake lift yep. move. That would have been cool. Yes. <laughs> Drastically different tone, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's the other scene that came to mind. Oh, I love it. It's not the first time we've pitched the idea of Swayze being the Mariner. That was an old conversation from way back in the podcast. It by the was, way. but he would have been a great Mariner. <laughs> As the Mariner grabs onto this rope and Enola grabs onto the Mariner and they lift up off the deck. I love, love, love how the deacon emerges from the smoke he's kind of hunched over he's got his arms out he reminds me of something like a gremlin <laughs> yeah he is very fairy tale monster like <laughs> like a big bad wolf coming after red riding hood and whatever is left of the vestments he was wearing earlier give him this like shaggy look mm -hmm. and yeah you like you said he's hunched over because he has been quite injured in the crash and he does seem to be kind of off kilter a little like favoring one side mm -hmm. yeah quite monstrous it's funny to think that if the plane crash didn't hurt enola why would you assume that it hurt the deacon and the only way that i can imagine it hurting the deacon more is if the plane just hit a certain way to affect him more than her right the plane must have spun in such a way that he took the brunt of it. In hindsight, it is kind of implausible that Enola would come away from that crash completely unscathed. At least, like, give her a cut on the forehead so that there's a little bit of blood on her face or something. Mm -hmm. But, nope, she's perfectly fine. Oh, Not yeah. a scratch on her, which feels very Disney. Was she wearing a seatbelt? I don't remember. I don't... I was remember either i was so focused on deacon holding her in place when she was biting him that i didn't notice okay is she buckled in did she follow those flight attendant instructions that whenever you're sitting down you should be buckled in i would hope so since there was no door <laughs> i always have to chuckle because in all reality being buckled into your seat during a plane crash isn't going to help you survive that plane crash any more than if you weren't wearing your seatbelt. But what it is going to do is it's going to keep you in your seat. So when they go through the plane manifest, they can say, OK, well, those charred remains belonged to this person because they're oh, buckled into the seat. Wow, that's dark. I seem to remember <laughs> a story wrong. somewhere. So this is completely unreliable about when seatbelts were introduced in the 50s-ish sometime. That was a lot of people's concern was that seatbelts could help people die in crashes because it would lock them into the car when otherwise they need to get out of the car. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's not untrue, but the cost of that is not equal to the benefits of 
No, it really does help save your life in a car crash. Yeah, when you think about the majority of incidences involving car accidents, a lot of them are sudden stops uh-huh. where if you're wearing a seatbelt, it will keep you from flying through the windshield and not so much, oh no, I've suddenly found myself in a burning vehicle and I need to get out now, but oh, the mechanism is jammed and I can't get out. Oh no, like those instances are far rarer than... I've been in a car accident and my seatbelt kept me from being ejected from the car and thrown into a ravine somewhere where the car can then roll over me. There's a plane crash that I want to use to connect seatbelts to plane crashes. And I'm just confirming. I think I know which one you're talking about. As an example of buckling in to your seat will save your life in a plane crash. There is a very famous plane crash in December of 1971 where Julianne Kopka, sorry, I'm sure I butchered that, her plane was flying somewhere over the Amazon. I'm sorry, I don't know the particular country. The plane crashed, and the plane broke apart in two. She was strapped into her seat, fell from the sky, still strapped to her seat. And because she was strapped to her seat, she survived the fall. Mm. And she was in the Amazon all by herself for, I believe it was 14 days. Oh, wow. I believe it was 14 days before she was found and rescued. Mm. And I also believe that she holds the record for the highest survived freefall. Okay. Yeah. And she was buckled into her airplane seat. Excellent. Yep. That's a bit more hopeful than my example of why you wear a seatbelt in an airplane. <laughs> I want to point out there are a few details. There is a high shot looking down at the gondola where Helen and the enforcer are pulling the rope with the Meritor and an O on it, you can see that the end of the rope that they're pulling on is tied to the frame of the gondola behind them. So if they were to suddenly let go of it, it wouldn't fall away completely. Yes. Right next to that knot is a crossbow that they've taken from the new atoll. So they came not only armed with Molotov cocktails, but with at least one crossbow to help fight off smokers. Excellent. Which is excellent forethought. Yeah. Another detail that I really enjoy that we see a couple times when we're looking down at the rope and the mariner and Enola and yada yada is that you can see objects on the deck sliding across the deck. Mm -hmm. And I really love that because from that angle, you can't tell that the ship is going down. You have no frame of reference for one part of the deck being higher up than another part of the deck. But with those objects sliding... It hints at that. It's a really nice background detail. Yeah. That maybe they didn't necessarily need to do, but it adds a lot. Yeah. And I imagine that all of those items are probably on cables and they're just slowly pulling them from one side to the other. Yep. To make it appear that the deck is getting more and more pitched. But getting back to the rope, as the Mariner and Enola are lifted up off the deck, as I mentioned before, the deacon comes and grabs onto the rope, and suddenly you've got this situation where Helen and the Enforcer are suddenly holding on to a lot more weight than they planned on, so they get pulled a little bit, but then thankfully recover, because it would be awful to have five people hanging from this rope instead of just <laughs> three right now. Yeah. And Deacon climbs the rope enough that he's able to grab onto Enola's leg, and it's then that he shouts that he's going to rip her cute little lungs out. I find this statement weird, that he is still being cute with her in a time like this. (laughs) That he doesn't just say, I'm going to rip your lungs out. 
But no, he's still speaking to her like she's a child with sass. Yeah. It feels a little bit weird. The Mariner is having a lot of trouble dealing with the weight of Enola and then the weight of Deacon holding on to Enola. And she can't break free because he's got her by the ankle. She's got no leverage to kick at him. So Helen, thinking fast, grabs a glass bottle, which kind of reminds me of a red stripe beer bottle. It's kind of stout and wide. Anyway, she has this bottle with a rag in it. It's obviously a Molotov. And she picks it up and she throws it down towards the deacon. And then, because movies are magic, uh-huh, yeah, the bottle that strikes the deacon in the forehead is one of those ribbed plastic water bottles that you see a lot of. They're very tall. They're fairly narrow. They have little bumps all along the side. And the Foley person for this movie, seeing Helen had a glass bottle before, puts in a glass bottle sound effect as it knocks against his forehead, stunning him enough to let go of Enola's leg. It's so mismatched and awkward. The only thing that it has going for it is that it is a blink and you'll miss it detail. Yeah, it is pretty quick. I would argue, though, that if you're paying attention to the movie and you're not just casually watching, if you're paying attention, you can clearly tell that this is a plastic water bottle Mm. and the sound effect just doesn't match. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure you're better at this sort of thing, so you might know better than I. I'm pretty sure the timing of the sound doesn't match up either. I actually found that the timing of the sound is perfectly fine. Okay. Um, Timing-wise, though... What got me thinking is how long do you think it was between when they were shooting all of the gondola scenes in front of the blue screen versus when they were shooting the Deacon dangling from the rope scenes? Because those were definitely two different days of shooting. Yeah, I agree. Where I'm paused, I've got Enola's foot and leg and the Deacon's hanging on. He just got hit in the head with the bottle. I don't think that's Enola's leg. I don't think that's a child's leg. (laughs) The scale of it is too large. The scale relationship between the deacon's hand and the foot he's holding, that is not an adult hand holding onto a child's foot. That is an adult foot. Okay. Yeah, I definitely was not looking at the foot at the time. That's another thing where I just, I don't look at feet. It's not. (laughs) Well, what caught my eye in particular is that Her calf is ginormous. (laughs) It's just proportionally huge. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that that is either Enola's leg or a child's leg. In that case, it's probably a good thing because the next thing that Enola, or I guess in this instance, Enola's stunt double does, (laughs) is that she lifts her leg up a little bit and she brings it right down on the deacon's face in order to kick him off of the rope. Now, Enola in the book also gets to kick Deacon in the face, but the context is a little different. Basically, in the book, the Mariner and Enola have grabbed onto the rope. Before being lifted up off the deck, the Deacon grabs onto Enola's leg, so you've got this little string of people, and instead of all of them being lifted up off the boat, they are hanging on the rope with the deck underneath them at a severe angle. So they're not out in open air. Oh, okay. That feels a little bit more Titanic-esque. Exactly. So here's how this whole situation works out in the book. The Mariner grabbed the dangling line. Anola, 
The child, skidding by, latched onto his waist, and the deacon completed the chain, grabbing onto Enola's leg. I'm gonna rip your cute little lungs out, the deacon yelled at her. You talk too much, she shouted, and reared back her free foot and slammed her heel into the deacon's left eye, his bad eye, his goggle-covered eye, the lens shattering, the deacon howling, and letting go. He went sliding down the deck and dropped off the edge, and it took a long time before he splashed. I really like that. I like that she got to say you talk too much because everybody's been telling her this whole movie that she talks too much. <laughs> so I like that turnaround yeah. on him. I like that she was clever enough to kick him in his weak spot, his bad eye. Although she's lucky that the goggle broke because otherwise the goggle would just protect the eye. Right. I think most goggles are plastic. But hey, you know what? It's a post-apocalypse. You got to take what you can get, right? Yep. <laughs> And back here in the clip, it ends on a rather happy note. Helen and the Enforcer are able to pull the Mariner and Enola up into the gondola. Helen and Enola are reunited. The Enforcer is there to put a congratulatory hand on the Mariner's shoulder. And below them, the ship is exploding and sinking. It's a very satisfying end to a rescue. If this is where it ended and they cut right to Gregor being like, I know which way to go, let's fly away, then great. Yeah, It'd be, be perfectly fine, fine. Perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, the next sequence, I'm not sure is really needed at all. There are a lot of ridiculous things about the next sequence. <laughs> I want to say it's next week specifically. Uh-huh. It is next week, specifically. I'm not sure how far it extends into... I think we... It's completely contained in next yeah. week's episode. By the week afterward, we're past it. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of ridiculous that's coming up. Join us for that. Next episode, we see the last moments of the Exxon Valdez. Enola will tumble over the side of the gondola, and the Mariner will rediscover bungee jumping. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 77. We'll see you next time.